Hey, in their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, some adjectives to be named later, Domestown proudly presents Trek Quest 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your host, Trek West 5, Joey Peter. Good afternoon and welcome to Podcast 153. I am Peter. And I am more or less Joey. <laughs> you sound great. You sound great. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. You sound fantastic. I've been pretty sick. I, uh, I slept for 32 hours between Wednesday and Thursday. And my wife at one point wake me up, woke me up and said, do I need to take you to the doctor? Because... You must be really sick if you're sleeping this much. <laughs> I said, no, I think I'm okay. And sure enough, after a few days of rest, <laughs> uh, seemed to be on the mend. We kind of all went through it. We we had sickness throughout the household during the Christmas vacation. Lots of fun. Oh, I, you know what? Nothing says Christmas quite like illness. Yeah, like bronchial pneumonia. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so does uh, does everyone sound as bad as you? Um, or are you? The- I, I, I so I was on the tail end of it. I, Didi and and Beth and JJ were really really sick starting Sunday night into Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and because our son he has a compromised immune system, and if he runs a fever he'll go into seizures. Yeah. So we have to every two hours alternate between acetaminophen and ibuprofen. And because my wife was sick, that meant every two hours for three days, even though I was starting to come down sick, every two hours I had to get up and pump him full of drugs mm-hmm. to keep him from going into seizures. So I knew I was getting sick and I knew that I was doing this at the expense of, you know, at some point it was all going to catch up with up to me, but I just had to hang on long enough for my wife to get well enough that she could start taking care of that. And as soon as, like, the minute she was, you know, I, I got up and was, you know, go, getting ready to get out of bed and go uh, go give JJ his medicine. And Dee said, did you want me to do this one? And I said, yes. And I don't remember very much from that point until 32 <laughs> hours later. I remember, like, two conversations I had in that time period. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, good Christmas, though? Yeah. Yeah, we had a good Christmas. That's good to know. Um, mine was quiet. I had the whole week off. Really, I don't know what took me so long to send out that uh, the, the email for for this week's podcast. I could have sent it out last week, really. Uh, but anyway, it's uh, it's done now, and I'll let people have time to not worry about our podcast, spend some time with their family. Oh, of course, yeah. We don't want to take anybody away from their family on Christmas because of our podcast. Although, if you did. That would be really nice. It would have been a nice Christmas <laughs> gesture to the rest of us. Uh, okay. Uh, anything you want to bring up? Uh, we just move into regular stuff? Move into regular stuff. Okay. Uh, we'll cover Facebook Find of the Week. Okay. Okay. Uh, so we had a couple of weeks to do, but it was kind of slow, uh, you know, because of, you know, the Christmas and whatnot. But sure. uh, we do appreciate the people who did post up. I do have a clear cut winner, though. Okay. And. Uh, I just want to thank uh, uh, Curtis, Curtis for his portrayal <laughs> yes. of Tom, Tom Brady, Brady as Jesus carrying a little lamb. Um, My uh, wife was horrified by this. <laughs> She's like, 
what? Uh, it, well, how can Curtis post that? <laughs> this is so fantastic because it kind of does look right. <laughs> it kind of does. <laughs> it, it, I mean, you take away the eye paint and, you know, the, the coloring, the beard, the everything just all kind of goes together there. So who, whoever did this in Photoshop really just hats off to him. Uh, so Curtis, uh, you should be receiving uh, the second Facebook Find of the oh. Week award now. Uh, I have no idea what that one is or where it's at. It's the Rice Krispie. No, that one was like three or four. Oh, okay. All right. Then two must be the uh, the shouting. Yeah, yeah. It, that might. Yeah, that one. It might be it. I is, but I still don't know where it's at. So we'll have to find it. Okay. We'll get it sent out to you sometime. Um, let's see here. What's next? Brainy Smurf. Brainy. Uh, let me pull up emails here. He says, "Merry Christmas, Overlords." He did that all in uppercase except for the letter R in Overlords. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're not know. quite there yet. I Pete. guess I was supposed to <laughs> shout Merry Christmas Overlords but not the R. Uh, let's let's hear that. No. <laughs> he says the break allowed me to catch up on the podcast. I was interested to hear the nitpicking over the uh, Starbuck flying a raider episode. I don't think it is unreasonable to assume that the raider being alive, breathes oxygen. After all, the humans built the Cylons in their own image, but the biggest plot hole in the episode is not how Starbuck learned to fly, it is how she managed to write her name in duct tape after she ran out of O2 and she had used her flight suit to plug the ship's hull. Well, she could hold her breath, go out and do a letter, go back in, take a breath. <laughs> I actually thought about that and thought, nah, you know, there's a plausible explanation there. Uh, for this week's, uh, let's see, uh, but anyways, I hope everyone in the room had a great holiday and such. By the way, no, I agree with you, Brainy. Uh, totally ridiculous. Can't believe I didn't pick up on that. Props to you for being the one that did. For this week's Nook of Darkness, I thought I would keep it simple with a question. What are your dude's all-time favorite TV shows in these categories and why? I answered mine in parentheses. Okay. So, best pilot. Best pilot. Pilot yeah, being a, a uh, an episode that is the very premiere. Um, off the top of my head. Do you want a little bit more time? I have an answer. Go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and say Firefly, with a very close second being Studio 60. Okay. I was going to say Studio 60. I, I think if I thought about it for a really long time, maybe I might come up with a different answer. But from the first episode of Studio 60, I was I was hooked on the premise and, and bought into every single character that was presented. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, his was Breaking Bad. Okay. Not a bad one to choose. I've seen it now. I'm th- Did you have a reason why Firefly? I mean, was there... <clears throat> just great. Okay. Yeah, the train job is really just a fantastic episode. <laughs> um, by the way, you have, have you seen any Breaking Bad? I watched, I think, the first season. Okay. It's only uh, six or seven episodes long. I saw up the to the episode season. where the pink bunny is floating in the water. Okay, that could be anywhere in season two, though. Okay, so I think I watched the first episode of season two. Okay. And okay. then... 
I'm I'm almost done with season three. I am loving it. Fantastic writing, deplorable characters <laughs> all around. Like the son, the kid with cerebral palsy is the only good person in that entire series. Okay. Everyone else is terrible, evil. Okay. Best arc. Babylon five. Babylon five, really? Yeah. It it's it's the one that, in my opinion, out of all the television shows I've ever watched, had the strongest presentation of an arc from start to finish. Uh, I would have to disagree with you on that. I think that the Babylon 5 was one of the first to properly even attempt an arc. Okay. But I don't think that they were the best at it. I would give it to the West Wing, specifically Josh's arc um, with from the, from the gunshot um, on... Um, in the shadow of a gunman, um, all the way through to you know what happens. Okay, so to you're him. not we're not saying that the entire series has to be an arc. No, because then oh. that would be like favorite series. Well, that might have been an arc. I thought that's what we were talking about. Was which series is the best series that has an arc in it? I don't know. He just says best arc. You can answer it that way. I can answer it my okay. way, and we're done. Good. Uh, his is Moffat's. Doctor Who, which is tough because he wrote uh, mainly Matt Smith, but he did Moffat did cover a couple of uh, of uh, Doctor Who's for that was uh, Tenant. So I'm assuming he means Matt Smith. I've only seen the Eccleston. Is that his name? That's the only new episodes of Doctor Who I've seen. Best writing. Um, right now, it's it's probably not a popular opinion, but I'm going to go with the newsroom. I'm really liking where they went with that first season. I mean, I realize the series isn't done yet, but I think it's the culmination of, of Sorkin's attempt to tell a particular series of stories. And he's really finally honed in, I think, on, on the story he's trying to tell and is doing a great job. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to... Same general area, but I'm going to give it to West Wing. Okay. Uh, his answer is a tie. The Sopranos and Game of Thrones. Wow. I've never watched either of those. Hmm. Okay. Best finale. Best finale. Hmm. Finale being the very last episode <laughs> I have to think about that one for a second. Do you have an answer? Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it to um, All Good Things, Next Generation. Yeah, I, I can see that. It was, it was actually like the first immediate response that I wanted to give was that. But as I've thought about it more... It's one of the most strongly well-written... Well, but see, if they were not doing a season three of Sherlock, I would say the Reichenbach Fall. <laughs> But now they're doing a season three, so it's not really a finale. So I, I'm going to go with All Good Things. Okay, and that's what uh, Brainy said as well. All Good Things. Best single season. Best single season. This is a tough one for me. Really tough one. Huh. Man, there's some good stuff out there. Yeah. 
I, I'm gonna. It, it's tough for me because I want to say Star Trek season five. Yes, uh, because that's very, that, very strong. Two of our favorite episodes of, of all anything time ever. <laughs> um, pl- uh, but then I also want to say West Wing season three. Yeah, I, because again, I'd say late season two. Phenomenal, like, phenomenal episodes. Yeah. You have to include the 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 tale of season two though, or the impact of season three isn't there. So I don't season three by itself. These, these are these me. are these are my guesses. If you want to make your, that your guess is wrong, I'm just telling you why. <laughs> uh, while you're still thinking, there, Brainy says The Walking Dead season three, a series I haven't gotten into. I don't know that I ever will. Man, I keep hearing over and over again from every angle this is the best thing going on television. I think I'm going to have to give it a try. As much as I just despise the undead premise. <laughs> Here's the thing. From what I hear, there's been some like backlash of, oh, for a show about the undead and zombies, they sure don't really have a lot of undead zombies in there. <laughs> um, so I, I guess it just becomes a post-apocalyptic, yeah. you know, okay, how are we all going to survive? Which might be interesting. Um I'm not ready to jump into it yet, just by judging from the fact that I'm barely getting into, you know, Breaking Bad now. Okay. Um, okay. I I think I'm going to make a controversial decision. Ooh. There's going to be people renting their clothes. And- is it is it the is it the NFL season where the uh, <laughs> Patriots actually won a Super Bowl? No, no, no? it's not that one. Oh, okay, that would have been controversial though. <laughs> um. No, I'm going to go with season six of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The season where Luke and Lorelai are together. And everything is actually going well for all the characters before they just tear the whole thing down and destroy it. Yeah, I don't. Was it? It was season seven. I didn't ever bother to finish. I just yeah. I could not get through it. Would not get through it. Once the creator left, the show really went downhill. Yeah. Uh, okay, he says, Happy New Year. Your dude's dedication to this podcast makes me happy and allows me the chance to interact with folks whom I never would have otherwise. So thanks from the Brain Nation. By the way, I need to... You're welcome, Brainy. I need to mention here, um, Brainy, there's someone who's emailing us asking about the music that you composed for the podcast. Um whether or not he can have a copy of it. You know, should we do that email now? Yeah. Let's see here. I think it was Mark, wasn't it? Or no, Alex. it was Alex. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Here's his email here. I don't know if I'm allowed to <laughs> Yeah, you might want to skip the read some of this. <laughs> no, I think I'm okay with this. Okay, yeah, I'm going to read this. Uh, Dear Joey and Peter, to be honest, I haven't been able to find the original link to the Ron Moore commentaries. It has uh, been a few years since I downloaded them, and back then I was rather obsessed with BSG and was searching for anything and everything dealing with the series. So I can't get you the links, but I put the four individual MP3s in a Dropbox account that you can download at your convenience. Have you taken those yet? I haven't because he mentioned that there were some spoiler things and he actually went and gave the timestamps and stuff like that. But the way I listen, it'd be too, I could have to be sitting there and watching Watching the clock to to skip over those parts. 
And so I, I, well, I downloaded them, but I haven't given any of them a listen yet because I want to wait until I've gotten through the parts where he says, don't, you know, basically he tells us, yeah, this yeah. is a spoiler for this season. I'm going to hold Which off. Which makes until me that worry point. that there's going to be those other types of spoilers and some of the other stuff you're going to end up listening to as well. Well, I'm, I'm just going to wait until I'm, I'm kind of hoping that more people will do as our wonderful friend Alex here has done and, and tell me you're okay to listen to this after season two or after season three kind of thing. Uh, he says, uh, if that sounds unreliable or fishy to you guys and you don't want to take the risk, I understand completely. After all, there are many crazy individuals lurking online and you guys have no way to verify if what I'm saying is true or not. By the way, it is true. If you'd rather not use Dropbox, then I can send them to you via email. Uh, you know what? I worry about the crazies out there on the internet, but Joey is amongst them. <laughs> I'm um, one of them. <laughs> he, yeah. So I, I, even if you were one of the crazies, I think Joey would be able to see through whatever you were are trying to do to him. Uh, anyway, while I'm at it, I wanted to tell you guys how much I appreciate your show. I discovered it this summer after I stupidly broke my foot and it got me through many a sleepless night. And now that I'm fully healed, I listen to it when I go for a run to distract me from thinking about how much I hate running. <laughs> wow, what a paradox that man lives in. <laughs> but at least he's found us and we can help get him through running. Well, that's what we're here for, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry you broke your foot, by the way. That would be excruciating. Um, he continues, I simply can't say enough good things about your show. It's thoughtful, insightful, and funny, and the banter between the two of you is sheer brilliance. I, I like all of those good things. You can say more of those. Um, by the way, he <laughs> said he can't say enough, but he does stop at that sentence. He he stops saying. Uh, that's what I'm saying is, you know, feel free to say more. Yeah, that, that's, that's okay. Uh, that's we what I'm mind. saying too. <laughs> It does help that you keep talking about all my favorite shows. Now, I'll admit that I'm a bit behind because uh, because after completing your Studio 60 and Firefly series, I went back and started listening to your earlier episodes, which I've downloaded manually. Stupid iTunes doesn't allow you to keep all your episodes on its website online. Since the iPod doesn't recognize them as podcasts. Anyway, I've just completed the TNG series, which was a great blast from the past, and I'm about to start your West Wing retrospective. The West Wing is my favorite show of all time, so I can't wait to see what you guys, um, see what you guys thought of it. By the way, just wanted to mention that I did play the role of narrator slash mystery man in my high school production of Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods. Oh, good for you, Alex. And I think that Joey would have done a great job in the role. <laughs> I've checked all four commentaries. Uh, let's see, I'm going to skip that part. Uh, anyway, I guess that's everything. I'll be sending you the Dropbox link momentarily. Keep up the great work. Uh, keep up the truly excellent work, guys, and I wish you and your loved ones a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Your faithful listener, Alex. P.S. I love the songs that open your shows. Can you tell who artists are and what songs are called? And you sent that back to him. Yes, so almost all of the songs that we use, we have the artist's permission or the mm -hmm. agent of the artist's permission to use as an intro. Um, the only one that I... Could, I didn't know if I had permission to share was Brainy's original composition for the podcast. And so I just had said, hey, you know, it, it, 
if the guy wants it, Brainy, are you okay with us sharing that out with people? I don't have any objection to it. I don't think he's going to mind either, but you know, Brainy seems to listen to us uh, uh, pretty religiously, so he can comment if yes. he would like. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. So, Alex, thanks very much for uh, sending those on. You should still at least download them from the Dropbox. They're downloaded. Oh, they are. Yes. Okay. All right. That's good. Because I know sometimes Dropbox doesn't stay open forever, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I've I've had people give you know send me links to Dropbox and it expires. Really? It does. Huh. All right. Okay. Uh, that's it. Joey's Culture Corner. All right. Joey's Culture Corner this week. And are we are we doing the famous five questions after that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It is the documentary Minecraft, the story of Mojang. Now, I've talked before on the podcast about my passion for the video game Minecraft. So this is a documentary made by a company called Two Player Productions. They went and documented the creation of the company Mojang as they were, you know, because Minecraft was created by a programmer while he was at his day job. And it got big enough that he decided to leave his day job and hired a bunch of his buddies away to start his own company. It was when he made his first million dollars in sales of this video game. He said, you know what? This is kind of a big deal. <laughs> Maybe I should run a company around it. Um, and so these guys decided to make this documentary. The very interesting thing about the documentary is that you can get it for free online on the Pirate Bay, which is an infamous torrent website. But I want to read to you the, uh, the, the torrent entry here. Good old Pirate Bay. It's not illegal to torrent things, by the way, people. It's just illegal to torrent things that are illegal. To torrent. To torrent. Yes. You know, I mean, you know, if you have to buy a license for something, you shouldn't be torrenting that particular item. So here's the entry for Minecraft The Story of Mojang on the Pirate Bay. Greetings, Pirate Bay. This is two-player productions here. And we hoped we would be the first ones to upload our new movie, <laughs> Minecraft, The Story of Mojang. We've never uploaded a torrent before, so hopefully this isn't all screwed up. We wanted to come here first because we knew this movie would end up here eventually. <laughs> and the best thing to do seemed to be opening a dialogue. Torrents and piracy are a way of life, and it probably won't be going anywhere anytime soon. There are many people that want to punish you for that, but we have a more realistic outlook on things. We've been there. We've all needed to do it at some point. Maybe you don't have the money. Maybe you want to try before you buy. Maybe you're pissed at us for <laughs> premiering the movie on Xbox Live. <laughs> These are all fine reasons. But if you feel that piracy is, in Gabe Newell's words, a service problem, please consider that we are selling DRM free digital copies that you can watch in whatever manner you please. We're just three guys trying to make a living doing what we love. And they, they go on for quite a bit here. Um, but they, they do make the movie available online. No DRM. You can watch it on any device. Burn a copy of it. Do whatever you want with it. They put no restrictions on you. $8 for the movie. And it's about an hour and a half long. Um, I really, really enjoyed the movie. One of the things that I liked the most about this movie is if you've never played Minecraft and you're kind of wondering... What what is this thing? What, why are people so excited about this? Why is it so big? They go into that and they talk about the experience of they they have people come on like famous uh for example the penny arcade guys 
are in it at one point, talking about their experience of playing Minecraft for the first time and what's appealing about it and why they think that people would enjoy it. And and so for that aspect, I think it's a, a very enjoyable movie. If you really don't want to pay the eight bucks, they've put it out there in a torrent for free and said, hey, if this is the only way we can get you to watch our movie, we'd rather you watch it for free than not watch it at all. But if you would be interested in paying $8 for it, we would sure like to have your $8. (laughs) Now, I know you're a fan of Minecraft. Do you think people who aren't fans of Minecraft are going to enjoy this? I think so because it it doesn't just – it's not just about Minecraft. It's really about the the development and the the kind of sea change that's taking place in the independent computer game industry right now. So Minecraft is used as the lens – through which they examine the independent video game industry and what's going on in that industry right now because it's it's really taking off and Kickstarter has played a factor in that and in fact Minecraft the mine this Minecraft documentary was a Kickstarter project so that's how it was originally started um, but yeah I, I think that there are interesting things in the movie even if you're not a fan of the video game Minecraft do they tell it in a documentary style fashion yes, yes very much okay documentary. all right. I, I enjoy documentaries. I don't watch a ton of them. I've seen a few in my life, but so, um, yeah, that might be interesting. Uh, might. Also, I'd say for a documentary, I think it had some incredibly good music in certain parts. It wasn't like, I'm not talking like pop music soundtracks playing over, but actual original composition for the movie that was very compelling and, and beautiful music. Nice. Okay. Uh, all right, so you didn't officially say it, but I'll go ahead and say you put, give it a thumb, thumb up. up. Thumb Absolutely. up. Absolutely. All right. Uh, you're the five. Five. Yes. What? What? Uh, what are we doing today? Top five villains in science fiction or fantasy novels. Okay, Pete, you give us your start there. Um. Okay, I'm gonna go with intolerance and racism. <laughs> Okay. As evidenced uh, through the the books that, uh, oh crap, um, Huck, Huck Finn, and like Tom Sawyer and you know Mark Twain, Mark basically what Mark Twain's you know what okay. was saying. I, I, it was tough getting through the book when I was you know a freshman <laughs> in high school. I fought against everything that had to do with English, uh, but still did it. Enjoyed the story uh, for what it was. Number four, I'm going to give this to Ambrose. Now, this is a character most people probably won't recognize, but it's from the King Killer Chronicles, um, which is by you know my new favorite author, Patrick Rothfuss. Um, and so this this character is just he's rich, spoiled, and you know feels like you know he owns the world because of it and gets to treat other people. Uh, a certain way. Uh, let's see here. Number three, I'm going to go ahead and give to Big Brother. Okay. From the book Good 1984, choice. because nothing is more deplorable than... The book 1984? <laughs> oh. I was going to say the character, uh, I think it was Winston? I don't remember what the... Okay. I, I, I did look it up, but I've since forgot. Um, but in the end, he was just more pitiable. He wasn't really necessarily a bad guy. Big Brother, yeah, w- without a doubt, is is the the bad guy. Uh, number two, I'm going to go ahead and say the Looters, um, okay, from from Ayn Rand's um, Atlas, Atlas Shrugged. Shrugged. 
that was the book I I had, you know came downstairs smiling about. I was like I I can't believe I hadn't thought of <laughs> all of the looters from from you know that book. And then lastly, I'm gonna go ahead and give it to Voldemort okay. from uh, Harry Potter. Yeah, that that dude's evil. All right, he was doing some terrible terrible things. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna start my list with the White Witch of Narnia. Ah, okay, sure. Uh, especially the way she so gleefully uses children and corrupts them, and and that's like so much a, a part of her her oh, power base. That's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number four, I'm going with Lex Luthor. Mm. I, I realize comic books is kind of stretching the definition of book. I'm a little sure bit, at but... some point he's been in a <laughs> yes, book. there have been noveliz- novelizations. Done. Okay. <laughs> Um, with number three, I went with humanity. <laughs> um, spe- what book? Specifically, I was thinking of, and I was like, oh, it's not really, is it really science fiction or fantasy? I don't know. But, um, Lord of the Flies. Oh, okay. Sure. And, and the descent of those children. Yeah. And, and just how it, it really portrays the darker nature of humanity that's in, the seed of it's in all of us, right? Um, number two, probably going to surprise some people here. The white mice from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> um, because if you haven't read the books, white mice are actually the appearance in our plane of existence of a transdimensional being that's hyper intelligent. And they are the ones who created the earth and all the misery on it in order to solve the question to the answer 42. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's all the mice's fault, really, at the end of the day. Um, but number one, I'm going to give it to Morgoth or Melkor, if you prefer, from The Lord of the Rings. This is this is as as Satan as you get in science fiction and fantasy. He literally was one of the most elect of the angels that was created by God who corrupted the, the creation and brought evil about gleefully and willfully here on the earth. Yeah. Okay. Well, those are all solid. Very, very good. Moving on to episodes. We are going to cover episodes seven through eight of Battlestar Galactica season one. And we'll go ahead and start with episode seven, six degrees of separation. A copy of number six presents herself as Shelley Godfrey with easily refuted evidence that Gaius helped the Cylons. Okay, so we have Miss Godfrey show up. Yes. And she is number six. She's a six. Okay, so I just want to start off by saying... Doesn't I, she look good as a librarian? Oh. <laughs> Didn't she look like a librarian she to did. you? yes. Like yeah, this, you know, this Puritan type of uh, woman <laughs> buttoned all up, you know, skirt the down glasses, to, the, to yeah. her calves. Even the shoes that she wore, like not sexy shoes at all <laughs> very sensible yeah yeah i i probably should not have watched this particular ep- episode after coming out of my 32 hours of delirium <laughs> man this episode toyed with my brain like a cat with a ball of yarn <laughs> uh, it was a fantastic scene to watch Gaius, yeah. who was coming out of his own little world, you know, gets called up to CIC, and there is what he thinks is number six standing there, and he makes 
overt gestures towards her <laughs> and he thinks that he's the only one that can see her and then every time he's like you 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 all can see her <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is so fantastic it's like one of my favorite scenes yeah, so great. far just because of of gaius being so incredibly awkward how he continues to not just be put off as Okay, he's a crazy. He, he's clearly insane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he doesn't. And they, you know, she accuses him of being a traitor. And she has evidence of this. Yeah. And her evidence is this video that, you know, shows him going in there. But it, you don't ever see his face directly. You only see what looks like a guy with his general build and haircut. Although you can see a reflection. Oh my gosh. Okay. Now, I believe that you can, you know, video could pick up a reflection. Yes. And I believe that advanced civilizations, such as what we see here, could potentially one day be able to do this. No. But it's really pretty impossible to enlarge and enhance images because you beyond have to just what start, the original source yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, you, otherwise you, you're just you're making things up at this point, saying, "Well, this pixel really means this," and we get this incredible detail from it. I don't know. Maybe one day it's possible. It's not. It's mathematically impossible to refine a signal past the quality of the original source. I'm just saying, maybe the future holds the ability for us to do this. All right. I think it's incredibly unlikely to happen, and I roll my eyes every single time it happens in television, especially on shows that are happening like now. within our time period right now. Not the future, yeah, right now, because that just doesn't, it's not possible <laughs> to do what they're doing. Um, yeah, we've ranted about that before. And, and I'm sure we'll rant about it again. Yes. One of the things that I thought as, you know, I was, you know, watching this is, oh, well, you can fake video. Yeah. You can fake images. Well, they say it's ID coded, whatever that means. Well, inside a, an image, you, you can actually see that it can contain meta information. So inside something like a JPEG you can have that information. I know about metadata, Pete. I'm saying they, I, look, they I'm imply that it's it like encrypted or, or digitally signed in some manner that makes it verifiable that this has not been edited. Yes. And you're saying that's not possible. I, I'm saying that there's no explanation given in episode in, in universe for why we should have such confidence in this principle of something being ID coded. Because well, we're introduced to it now. Any encryption is hackable, given enough resources and enough intent. Agreed. Amen to that. And that's why I said, yeah, that could easily be faked. I mean, Photoshop. Yeah. People have made livings on it. <laughs> our, our Facebook find of the week award winner <laughs> used an image that's not real, but sure makes it look like my lord and savior is Tom Brady. <laughs> or maybe vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> so, By the way, speaking of just completely random things, but 
uh, on the topic of photoshopping and, and digital manipulation of images, the website onetinyhand.com, the most bizarre and random thing I've ever seen on the internet. They just take photos from everything. I mean, just all sorts of pop culture and political figures and still shots from movies. And they take one hand somewhere in the shot and they shrink it down to about a 16th of its original size so that the hand on one side is the size of a finger on the other <laughs> side. It's just got this really tiny hand. On the it's quite hilarious. Good times. Uh, let's see here. President Roslin collapses. Yes. Um, which made me wonder, does she have MS? <laughs> but no, then I realized this isn't the West Wing. She has cancer. She has cancer. <laughs> We've already found out about it, though no one else knows except for the press corps because Billy... <laughs> broadcasts it over the whole... Broadcasts it and everybody was able to listen yeah. to it. And so it was known... A, a, a topic, by the way, which will come back in the next episode. The fact that there's no encryption of their wireless communications. Anyone can listen in and hear what's being broadcast over wireless communication. will become important later. So um, she ends up meeting with Doc Cottle. And uh, she, you know, apparently took too much of the medication because... yeah. A lot of a good thing can clearly mean it will turn into a great thing. Well, I mean, she's a faith healer fan. I mean, she's going for this Kamala extract thing, uh-huh. which we we find out that she finally has gotten her hands on some of the Kamala extract, and that's what she's overdosed on here. Yeah, uh, I'll just say it now: it's miraculous that they have this Kamala extract, this thing that isn't considered real medicine. They're able to find some of it within the fleet somewhere. Oh, I don't know. I just find that too unbelievable. Okay. I I think there's enough of the human population that's into the bizarre stuff that even if you whittle us down to 50,000 people, there's going to be at least one nut job out there with whatever you can come up with. I don't know. I, I I guess there's, you know, drug dealers everywhere and, you know, they've got a source. Um, so you, you, did you want to come back to the Starbucks storyline later? Cause you kind of skipped past the Starbucks in bed and she doesn't want to get out. Oh, I was going to, I was going to come back to that, you know, when well, they, I, I kind of wanted to, to cover the, it right now ship. because sure. there's an interesting corollary that's going on here where Starbucks really is well at this point. She should be getting up and around and, and working on improving the strength of her, of her joint there and things like that. And she just wants to stay in bed. She doesn't want to face this. She does, she's not ready to... Because she's a terrible person. ...accept her, you know, the responsibility yet. Meanwhile, you have the president who's dying <laughs> and is telling the doctor, look, give me whatever shot you got to give me. Just let me get through the day. I just thought it was a very interesting juxtaposition there of those two characters and where I think normally if you'd ask someone... Who's the stronger person, Starbuck or President Rosalind? Most people would go, eh, Starbuck. She's the military. She's the soldier. She's the, the ultimate pilot. She's the stronger of the two. And she's the best sniper in the fleet. <laughs> but 
here we see that on a on a personal level, at, at least when it comes to this particular challenge or set of challenges, that the president seems to be holding it up in what I would consider the more responsible and stronger character fashion. That's because she is a more mature person. She's okay. not selfish. Starbuck is immature and incredibly selfish. Okay. And that's part of why I can't stand her. Interesting. I, I just thought it was interesting to, to directly compare those two results to moderately similar situations, at least a, a thread of commonality between them. Hmm. Uh, so Shelly comes on to Adama. Yeah. And uh, she starts kissing on him, and he doesn't do anything. There's no way Adama falls for this. I mean, what is she? And he doesn't. And he doesn't kiss her back either. You know, it's very clear that he is just (laughs) a warm human being sitting next to this Cylon. (laughs) And so he's like, hey, I want you guys to, you know, post guards around her, you know, follow her around. I don't know what's going on with her. Now we have... Hilo and Boomer on the run in Caprica. And uh, uh, Boomer is apparently, she's gotten better, so it must have been, you know, it's been a little bit of time. So she's been able to heal up from the beatings she would have taken. (laughs) Um, Which she heals amazingly, like perfect skin and no scars. I mean, she was pretty bloody and cut up. Not a single scar after that. Well done. Yeah, it's true. I mean, of course, maybe we just aren't seeing the scars. Maybe she got hit and the scars up in her hairline. (laughs) Or she was punched in the nose and so she had bloody nose and that's where all the blood came from. Who knows? Let's just be grateful for her immaculate skin. (laughs) So soft and supple. What's interesting is like between this episode, I, I think it's... We see him in the next episode as okay. well. Flesh right. and bone. Is, it, is it in the next episode where she meets up back up with the other two? Uh, yes. Okay, we'll talk about yes. that there. Uh, maybe. I don't, frankly, I don't remember. Because it's always, it's like five minutes of the entire yeah. episode gets <laughs> slated to these guys. By the way, I, I have to laugh every single time now. Yeah, because of John. John pointed out. It's hilarious. Carl Agathon. Call sign Hilo. <laughs> 28 days on Caprica. <laughs> Cylon controlled Caprica. Yes, yes. Don't forget that. Um, okay, so Baltar follows Gaeta into the bathroom. <laughs> this scene is so wrong. Yes. There, and there's I thought, nothing okay about anything that happens here. <laughs> Talking to someone in the bathroom. It's wrong. Leave them alone. I mean, even like... <laughs> Even as he's he's like, so how's it going over there? <laughs> the kid's like, what? what? <laughs> and he's like whistling. I don't know which of them was whistling, but one of them was whistling. And it's just wrong. Uh, I, I, you know, in uh, in Asimov's The Robots, or no, The Caves of Steel, the first book in the Robots trilogy, he talks about how humanity has evolved. Because we live in closed quarters all the time, we've evolved this this habit of pretending not to see each other when we're in the bathroom. And I read that and I thought, this is the way it should be now. We shouldn't have to wait until the apocalypse to actually have some privacy in public bathrooms. Apparently, Baltar never got that memo. 
It's <laughs> horrid. I hate that yes. scene. And that's the one thing wrong with Gaius <laughs> Baltar. <laughs> Just added to the long list of, of things that are wrong. Um, okay. So then what's-her-name shows up, and he starts to accost her. So my question is, does she think that she's... I just... <laughs> is this the... Is this head six? Is is this head six actually being manifested to other people? Am I supposed to know? What, what a great question to ask. Because head six goes away at the exact time that, that Shelly shows, shows up. up. Right. And so you're left to wonder. And Shelly disappears my, that was actually at the my, exact moment <laughs> that, that Head Six, Head comes, six back. comes back. Yep, that's right. That was my question. At the, it was going to be at the very end to you. Was Shelly ever real? <laughs> because multiple people see her. Yeah. As a matter of fact, her glasses get left behind in CIC. Yeah. <laughs> But she miraculously is able to... She she leaves the ship somehow. She's gone. So, <laughs> is there some other Cylon collaborator on there that helps get her off the ship? She we just shot herself that, out of an airlock. We do know that there's another Cylon there who could help her. Yeah, Boomer is on there. And, and you Boomer is losing it. And you suggested that there are other Cylons within the fleet. Oh, sure, yeah. Who could have helped her off. So, I personally think that Shelly is real. Here's the she thing, is though. Just, she's it's just not just that she disappeared. number six. It's that she went around the corner, and they followed her around the corner, and she was gone, as, as though into thin air. Yeah, we, the, we don't ever really see her disappear. No, but we're told. Yes, we're, we're told. So we don't know if there's some other corridor there. We don't okay. know if... You know, the guards were just being lax and they weren't following her that close because... They're making excuses? Yeah. We don't know. Okay. So, I definitely think that she was real. (laughs) I I don't know, man. (laughs) This makes me want to cry. (laughs) So, uh, my question is, as they're going through, or I guess... A couple of questions I have here. They're going through trying to make sense of the Cylon Raider. And they're trying to figure out the notes that uh, that, that were Starbuck written up left. by Starbuck. Yeah. Why not just wait for Starbuck? <laughs> and then number two, why is the thing still living? It's living tissue in there. How is it eating? How does it ever eat, though? I assume that there is some sort of, you know, that power source was being converted into, uh, you know, some sort of matter that would then be consumed by by that. Because matter and energy are basically the same thing. You just convert one into something else. Yeah, it just takes a little bit of math. <laughs> and some incredible acceleration. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Baltar sneaks into oh my gosh the lab. Yeah, what what is his end game here? I mean, I don't know. He is so far out of being thinking rationally at this point because even if he manages to destroy everything and doesn't get caught, that destruction of the evidence is just as damning as the existence of the evidence would have been. Not as damning. 
I mean, there people would start to trust him a little less, probably. But still, there would be no actual evidence there. In in my mind, it's you know, it, it's one of those times where you're like, well, he sure does look guilty. <laughs> but the stupid thing is, he tries to erase the evidence by destroying the monitors. <sighs> Once he, you know, he's trying to go through the computer on the keyboard to do whatever he can. He's not getting anywhere. So he starts ripping out wires that connect the monitor to the computer itself. People, I know that there are some machines, um, a Mac, I know for one minute, it sits right over there, my, my friend John Madsen's computer. The monitor is the computer. It's all built into one. Most Windows machines out there, though... The monitor is not connected. It is not the machine itself. It's not the hard drive. It doesn't have. But why do you assume they're running Windows? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> if that's the case, why do they have wires running between you know the uh, the two pieces of machinery? Cool. My, my point is, people, don't destroy a monitor and stop trying to pretend. In you know those people who make television shows. Just because you destroy a monitor does not mean that you have destroyed the computer. The <laughs> it, it frustrates me when they well, do that. And especially Baltar should know better. Oh, I mean, yeah. The guy's a computer guy. Yeah, absolutely. Although the apologists out there might suggest, oh, um, yeah, you know what? He does know, and he knows that destroying a monitor would actually do it. In their civilization, in their advanced state, Part of it is stored within the monitor itself. Could be. Could be. I don't buy it, though. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Hilo and Boomer, uh, they make out and then have sex. Jeez, that's graphic. I mean... No more graphic than what we've seen with Baltar in number six. No, I'm saying. I, what Battlestar Galactica got away with for Sci-Fi Network, I, I'm surprised. It's basic cable. Yeah. Not network television. Um, so I think it is in this episode where they do have the conversation about how they, uh, yeah, I think she goes back to them. Nope. No, it's not in this episode. I just found it in my notes. It's next episode. Next episode. Yep. Okay. Someone writes Cylon. On Boomer's mirror. Yes. Okay. Before that, she actually, she went down to the docking bay and was acting incredibly weird. Lovingly stroking the Cylon Raider ship. Yes. Um and then she does she finds the word Cylon written on her mirror. So here's my theory. The person who wrote Cylon on her mirror is her. I think she is just coming all sorts of unglued <laughs> here. Um, the uh, the relationship with the her fellow Cylon Tyrrell was the only thing that was kind of keeping her together. Mm. And now that they've cut that off, both of them are kind of seeming to deteriorate a little bit. But she's obviously going way faster than he is. You see and that's, the deterioration in Tyrrell? A little bit. A little bit. He's getting kind of short tempered and on edge and and he's having trouble with the Cylon Raider with interacting with it. Which if he's a Cylon, it should just come as naturally to him as it did to her. Huh. Um 
and, and so I, I, I think that he is going more native. Whereas <laughs> Boomer is just losing. I mean, she's just, she, her, her personality has fractured all over the place at this point in, in an attempt to kind of keep together some kind of coherent vision of herself. Well, your logic is consistent. <laughs> uh, okay, so Gaius gets locked up and he finally turns to the one God. Yeah, he, he starts praying to the one true God and he makes a bargain with him. <laughs> and those of us in religious circles... I I guess with at least the Judeo-Christian circles would know that you don't really bargain with God. That's it's, not how it works. It's not the in, you know intent of prayer. Go to God and say, hey, God, I'll give you something if you give me something. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's really not. The relationship that you form with God through prayer is so that you understand his will concerning you. So that you can then act appropriately according to God's will. Not so that you can get a new pony. Which is essentially what you know Gaius is asking for. Right. You just had some sort of realization. There. I, I did. Share. <laughs> um, well, I, it ties into next episode a little bit. But I want to say it now because I'm not sure if I'll remember. It was like hey, such a uh, moment of inspiration there. So in the next episode... The Leoban uh, Cylon uh -huh. makes a comment to Kara to know the face of God is to know madness. Hmm. That's right. Maybe this is why the Cylons are so fascinated with Baltar because he's clearly insane. <laughs> is Gaius God? Not that he is God, but that he's seen the face of God or that he has that that madness level access, if you will, huh. to the to the essence of God. And that's why the Cylons are interacting with that chip in his head and why the two forces within Cylon society are pulling back and forth on him, because there's a there there is at least according to the Leoban, if we can believe anything he said. That was about to be my next question. <laughs> um there seems to be in their culture a correlation between madness and closeness to God. Maybe that's why they have this fascination. It makes a little bit of sense. It has an internal consistency that rings true for me to say that is part of the Cylon's fascination with Baltar is they knew he was unhinged and they make that correlation being mad is a little bit like knowing the face of God or it allows you that access to it. And we can trust everything that Leo no, says. Uh, no, no, what I'm saying is the way those two pieces of information just so lined you're willing up to in my trust brain, that piece, that of piece what I'm Leoban willing to trust. Says. Yes. Okay. At any rate, he, he makes a bargain. Num head number six returns. Yep. And Shelly vanishes. He's exonerated, and now he's looking pretty good in the fleet ties. <laughs> Although I still wouldn't trust the guy because he was trying to destroy evidence. Well, and it seems pretty clear that the president, on some level, knows Baltar is guilty. She makes the comment, um, the moment they told me it was your face in the photo, I knew I believed it. 
I believe you were involved in the attack. Somehow, I feel it. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that even though she's had to publicly say, oh, yeah, you know, welcome back to the fold, Baltar. I think on some level she knows now. She's She has made that uh, intuitive leap to say, okay, Baltar is somehow involved in this. And I think this is going to be the start of the real conflict between these two that is going to lead to lots and lots of messiness for the human race further down the episodes. Okay, anything else? Um, let me just check here real quick. I, I thought the way that Moore and the and the creative staff portrayed Gaius's descent here and then his his turn to God, while it's unsettling to watch and we know that Baltar is just kind of the he's insane. He's he's not right in the head. Um I thought it was very honestly done. It was done by someone who I think has had some of those experiences, which I think probably everyone has at some point in their life had that experience where they either turn to God or they completely turn away from God. But the way they portrayed it, it didn't feel cheap. It didn't feel theatrical. It felt very, very honest and very, very well written. I really liked the way they did it. Um, it was very interesting to see the way that the dream world and the real world are bleeding into each other for Baltar at like super inconvenient times. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's getting, this is getting to be a very, very serious problem for him. (laughs) Um, I had a couple of other things in here. I'm just looking. Oh, um, it was the back on the the Cylon Raider thing. I, I really liked, you know, we we complained a little bit about how. Wait, how did Starbuck figure out how to fly this thing and blah blah blah? And when she tried to write it all down, and they followed the instructions that she wrote down, it didn't make sense. And then even when she gets back in and tries to do it again, she has difficulty with it. I really liked the idea that it it gave me, which is on some level her desperation and, and and the extent of her need to get that ship working gave her a capacity beyond even her own ability to understand. So it's not that she's just that smart and that, that much of the ultimate pilot, but that there was some instinctive reaction that led her to hey i'm i'm going to fly this thing and i'm going to get out of here and i and i'm saved don't ask me to recreate what i did because it was completely instinctual i actually liked that idea i think it it made the the idea that she flew the raider settle a little more comfortably for me okay uh let's move on to some listener emails we have listener m he says, hi, couple of random dudes I know from the internet. <laughs> it sounds like Pete is as busy as I am during the final week of the year. I always like to take the week off and not do any work after Christmas. It's fun to catch up on my TV watching. I won't be listening to any more of your archive until I get around to watching The West Wing. There are too many other shows in my queue to start in on another one. Episode Thoughts. Six degrees of separation. So now Baltar, who never really had much faith before, goes through a trial of faith 
and now believes in the one true God. I look forward to hearing what Joey thinks about this. Also, do you feel sorry for the Doc uh, for Doc Cottle? He was probably very ready for retirement. The guy probably worked hard his whole career, and now because of the Cylon apocalypse, he has to continue his service. It's no wonder that he smokes like a chimney. <laughs> it's also no surprise that doctors in our time smoke with all the pressure they deal with. Uh, yeah, good point about Doc Cottle. Um, I think I'd be pretty pissed as well if uh, you know all of a sudden I'm like, oh, crap, I've got to do this forever now. Well, Ty and Adama are kind of in a similar situation. Uh, oh, let's see here. Oh, yeah, this is from JD. Tell Joey he better be in upright podcasting condition Saturday so that you two can be on my show. I've done what I could, JD. I'm not going to make any more promises <laughs> than that. Yeah. Uh, I'm be, here. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be on uh, JD's podcast um, about uh, Star Trek Voyager called uh, the Delta Quadrant. Uh, so look for us there. If the you Delta want Quadrant? To. The Delta Quadrant? Okay. I'm pretty sure he's a Delta. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, my friend John Madsen sent in an email. He says six degrees of separation. Gata is one of my favorites, but he apparently doesn't wash his hands after <laughs> using the bathroom, and that's alarming. <laughs> Wait. Possible Cylon behavior? <laughs> no. Okay, I'm not going to fault Gata for this. He's one of my favorite characters, so I'm going to defend him. I don't even think the guy got around to going to the bathroom. Oh, I think he, he okay. got interrupted so quickly that, you know, uh, he just couldn't allow himself to relax enough. And so he ran out to go find another bathroom. Okay. I just assumed there was hand sanitizer back at his workstation. <laughs> yeah, very cause, interesting, cause he's though. he's not going to touch anything else all along the way back. <laughs> very interesting, though, the... Uh, the design of the toilet stalls appears to be everything is done very close to standing up. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, I didn't. Uh-uh. No, at no point did anyone assume a kind of squatting position. <laughs> they were all standing up the whole time. I really didn't notice. Uh, okay. From what I can tell, the only surefire Cylon detector is the glowing red spine during sex. Baltar should just demand that everyone participate in an observational <laughs> love-in. <laughs> but it seems that he's not aware of his biological occurrence. It appears all the sexy Cylons are pretty careful with their sexual positioning. Oh, jeez. Yeah, thanks, John. I really appreciate you pointing that out, but you're right. You are absolutely right, sir. Okay, Brainy says, It is unclear whether Shelly is in contact with Head 6 or not. Maybe Head 6 knew what the Cylons were planning, for the Cylons could very well only be interested in sabotaging Gaius. Cylon, uh, sabotaging Gaius's Cylon detector. Then again, maybe Shelly wanted to bolster Gaius's integrity within the colonial fleet, for it appears that maybe the false video was intended to be discovered as a fugazi. Well, anyways, I guess in space there's no need to preserve blood samples, as we see Gaius preferring to arrange the test tubes for aesthetic presentation as opposed <laughs> to preservation. But more importantly, enter Michael and Jelly. This dude is one of my favorites on the Battlestar Galactica writing staff. 
Not only does he have a knack for humorous undertones, he has an original voice. It is fascinating to observe the relationship of Gaius and Gaeta and Angeli's specific treatment of that character dichotomy. Um, treatment of that character dichotomy is, is amazing to trace throughout the series. From previous episodes, we learn that Gaeta appears to have great appreciation for Gaius. Now we note Gaius desperately needing Gaeta. I remember Angeli having an amazing ability to add layers of texture to the characters he writes for. BSG vets will appreciate restaurants with tables shaped like food. And truly, how much more vulnerable can one be than to plea for another man in the next stall? <laughs> Sci-Fi 5, TV 9. Okay. Science fiction rating, Pete. I'm going to give this a 7. Uh, I I enjoyed uh, the science fiction uh, way that they handled this very dramatic uh, portrayal. I thought it was good. Um, I'm actually going to give it a 10 on science fiction. As I said, wow. partly this might be due to the fact that I was maybe still a little fever racked <laughs> on the episode. <laughs> but like I said, this thing batted my brain around the room. I mean, I, at several points in the episode, I had to just pause it and just put my head in my hands and, well, I, I, I should preface all this by saying, um, I tried, so I, I took this one episode, and it was absolutely the wrong episode to select for this, but I had no way of knowing that going in. I skipped over the preview piece, the, the flash-forward stuff. It doesn't tell you anything. I totally disagree, because in every <laughs> single episode to this point, and in fact in the next episode, having seen that little fl the, the flashes and stuff, I could sit down and construct most of the episode storyline for you. In fact, I did it for my wife on the very next episode to show her that gives me something. That gives me plenty of information to know where the story's going. I didn't watch it for this one, because I was like, oh, I wonder what it's like to watch one of these without oh, that. Maybe I'm overstating its usefulness. And so I don't watch it on this episode of all the episodes to not watch it on and spend the rest of the hour with my head in my hands going, why are you doing this to me, Pete? Why? <laughs> I'm giving it a science fiction rating of 10. All right. For television, I'm going to give this a 7. I found it incredibly enjoyable. I absolutely love the way Gaius Baltar has acted um, and the... The, the scenes with the Shelly six were a lot of fun to watch. Uh, for television, I give this a six. Moving on to our next episode, Flesh and Bone. When a copy of Leoben is found in the fleet, it coincides with some oracular dreams President Rosalind has been having, so she orders it interrogated. Mm. The President dreams, or foreshadows... Or hallucinates, because apparently Kamala Extract does this to people. Yeah, it can. Or maybe it's just God. Or maybe the Cylons are psychic. Or maybe the Cylons have implanted her with no, some sort of device. No, no, no. Or she's a Cylon. Hmm. Maybe she's a Cylon. No, she's not a Cylon. 
<laughs> okay. She wants to interrogate it. Yes. Very clear that it's an it, not a him, yeah. as Adama talks about. Um, and it, uh, Adama gives some, okay, Starbuck is chosen to Bad be the choice. one to interrogate it. Bad Again, choice. they are just shoehorning a main character into this, and hey, let's choose Starbuck, because she hasn't been doing anything. <laughs> At least they don't have red shirts. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he gives her some advice. He says, be careful. I've had some dealings with this model before. It likes to mix lies and truth together to confuse you. You know, it's so interesting to me because I didn't go back and watch it, but maybe I should. In the episode where Adama comes across the Leoban the first time, I just didn't get the feeling that Adama's head was played with that much. No, I think Adama is much more solid. I don't think he's, you know, buys into what, you know, Leoban tries to do to him there, but it still doesn't change the fact that he was trying to do it. I, I, I'm actually going, I guess I've jumped ahead a little bit, tying what you're saying into a, the strength of Adama's emotional reaction to the corpse of Leoban. As he's standing there and he's gripping that phone, it's almost like he's going to crush that phone right there in his hand. And he says, no. And I'm just like, I just didn't get from the episodes that you were that bothered by Leoban. Do you think it's Leoban or do you think it's the Cylons in general? No, maybe. Okay. Okay. I mean, the character of Leoban, not so much. But But that he personifies. Yeah. all, all All of the Cylondom... Through this okay. one no, particular that, thing. That actually helps a lot. Looking at it, though. Because just okay. watching it, I was like, wow, I didn't get that there was that much. <laughs> I, I don't think there is. I, yeah. you know, I agree with you. Um, so anyway, he, he reveals that there is a planted nuclear bomb. And there's only, I don't know, eight hours until it goes off. And so he's going to play around with Starbuck yeah. now for a little while. So he can see the future. No, I don't buy that for a second. This is I, I mentioned in the in the previous episode that um, I thought he was that, that we were going to talk about the fact that anyone could listen into the wireless signals and stuff. All the information that he has, he's picked up, in my opinion, from just listening to the over the air broadcast of information back and forth. He knows it's Starbuck from the minute she walks into the room because he's been listening to her talking back and forth with Galactica every time she's out on patrol. And they have... So you, you think that the military doesn't have some sort of coded frequency? I, no. I think it's all wide open. I don't know. I personally believe that the military has a coded frequency. Because it then leads lends more credence to the um, freakiness of Leoban hmm. to instantly know that this Kara is Thrace. That this is Starbuck. Now, I, I I don't have any information. I don't know which okay. is the right answer here. That's just the way I choose to perceive okay. it. Because I like the creepiness of Leoban. I enjoy him being someone who 
is the metaphysicality of it. Yeah, yeah. Like he he is this guy who just seems to have this information and knows Kara Thrace and can see into her soul. That to me is from a dramatic standpoint a so better much, story. Yeah, so much more creepy to okay. to have. Um, then I shall leave you in your bubble of ignorance. <laughs> So, let the beatings begin. <laughs> and, you know, apparently totally okay to torture someone into getting information. Sure. Perfectly viable way of getting wonderful information. Here, here's the thing. I, I just I wonder about military training in fictional TV shows. Because I think you and I would probably make better torturers than any <laughs> fictional character we've ever seen in any TV show. If you're going to go with physical torture, there are so many better ways to do than just bludgeoning someone with your fist. I'm not even bat. saying physical. There are much better ways of torture you can do. Okay. Okay, yes, I would agree with that. But are there better ways to torture a Cylon? See, I think you can play around with the mental uh, faculties of someone like a Gaius Baltar. I think you could have a lot of fun <laughs> torturing that man. But a Leoban or any of the other Cylons that we've seen, they've got a little bit more information to work with okay. than what you do. So I agree with you that if we're out there just interrogating, torturing anybody else, you and I could probably... <laughs> We'd get some information. I don't... So that's the next question. How viable can this type of information be? Because it's always been talked about, oh, anybody who gets information through torture, you can't really trust it that much because at a certain point, the pain threshold is just going to be so high that they'll admit to anything. Yeah, that's why you can't only use pain. You have to use several different techniques. And, and just just by way of example, watching this episode, the one I thought of was put a put in a medic in that food, a, a vomit medication in that food that she gives him. Give her the the antidote when she leaves the room. Bring the food in, poisoned. He eats it and he spends the next hour vomiting up. The one bite of food he's had in two or three days. The the problem is, and what Kara doesn't know, is that doing this type of torture, or really any kind of torture to a Cylon, is going to be ineffective. Yeah. Because of their whole, hey, you kill me, I'm just going to be reborn in another body. Well, not, no skin off my back. Yes. But do you they, think I, they don't really internalize that, which is why she spends so much time trying to torture him, thinking, "Oh crap! I've only got eight hours to do this. I better go to the worst thing that I have imaginable, yeah. which is what I wouldn't want to have: physical pain, just a beating, or what eventually comes into, you know, drowning him in a bucket of water, because to regular human beings." That would be pretty bad. I, I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I would not hold up well <laughs> under physical torture. I'd give in. 
I, you know, don't tell me any of your secrets because people would beat it out of me. <laughs> One punch? Okay, yes. I'll tell you whatever you want. Everything. You've got it. But to a Cylon? Uh, it's not going to be effective. Ever. Um, so, Boomer wants to be tested. She she walks into yeah. um, Gaius's... Like I said, uh, she's coming unglued. She is... She's like, hey... Um, will you test me? And so he does. And, uh, let's see here. Yeah, he, uh, uh, we cut away at that point. We go to Sharon and Hilo on Caprica. Well, we co- we go to, we go to Six and the PR bot waiting for mm-hmm. Sharon to show up. And Six has started referring to her by the name of Sharon because mm-hmm. Six thinks that she's gone native if you will. And I think it's very interesting because it almost seems like the writers started out with, Oh, love the, love the Galactica boomer. She's the good one and hate the, the Caprica boomer. She's the evil one. And now they're trying to flip these roles. And I'm like, you know what? Don't care. Either way. Boomer's dead to me. You've killed the character. (laughs) So, it does seem as though number six doesn't like Sharon or Boomer, whatever you want to call her. She doesn't like her. Yeah. Do you think we know why? What What do you think is her motivation for not liking her? Is it just the she's gone native aspect of it? Well, I, I think that what we're seeing here is confirmation of my theory that there is a, a schism in Cylon society, at least one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that even like the models do not always fall on the same side of the schism. So different copies of a given model may not all agree. They may not all interpret their shared set of memories exactly the same way and come up to the same conclusions. So we see that there's the the head six and even the six the 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 six on on Caprica the, these seem like very very different attitudes towards humanity. The six that's on Caprica kind of hates humans. She's she's mm-hmm. kind of done with them. Right. Um, whereas the the boomer on Caprica, I think she has in a little bit in a little bit of sense gone native. She's she seems to be following this schism that I think that I'm going to start calling the pro-human version of the Cylons. So there's there's one faction there that's the, the pro-human, then there's the anti-human, and for some reason. Having the love of a human seems to change their personality. That mm. that seems to be the strongest. Uh, and so she hates Sharon because she's falling in love with the humans. Well, and because a human is falling in love with her. So there's an element, I think, of jealousy to it as well. Mm. And I think that's probably... As though she wants to be the person who's being fallen in love with? Yes. She, want, mm. she wants to be the object of love. Okay. I, I think that... I, I have this theory that the that a big part of the 
anger and the bitterness that caused the the Cylons to come back after all these years and attack us is because they had planted some individuals amongst us and those individuals were starting to get integrated to a level into human society to a level where they were becoming accepted and there is an element of jealousy there and there's you know what why can't humans love all of us and you know kind of like the the angry child coming back at the parent Unfortunately, the angry child has been armed with nuclear warheads <laughs> and computer viruses. It, it, it's, you know, it, and we also see here in this episode, so the, the reason I, I come to that, that theory is because the, the dysfunction, the potential for dysfunction between children and parents seems to be a theme that they're going to be playing with a lot here in Battlestar Galactica. We saw it between Adama, Commander Adama and Captain Adama. Mm-hmm. Um, we hear that, that we hear about it and I'm sure we'll find out more about it between Kara and her mother. And when you really look at the relationship between Cylons and humanity, it's a dysfunctional child-parent relationship. But as I said, the parent, the, the child throwing the temper tantrum has grown to epic proportions of wiping out humanity in their temper tantrum. And, and I think that that's a, a, a theme that we're seeing over and over again played out throughout the series. Hmm. Okay. So uh, I can't remember who made the statement uh, that they're repaying God's love with sin, and that is why they are punished. Yeah, so Leoban says... Oh, was it Leoban? Yeah, he's telling okay. Kara that. He's like, there's one true God, and he created you, and he gave you all these blessings, and you repaid him with sin, and and I can't remember exactly what he says, but basically implies that they're worshiping false idols and things mm-hmm. like this, and that is what's led to the situation that humanity's in now. Matter of fact, he picks out these specific idols that she ends up praying to at the very end of the episode. Which I think he picked up over the wireless. Again, that's assuming that the the frequencies aren't coded. An assumption I'm okay with. Because I think they have made that, you know, statement before, you know, which would make sense to, you know, they broadcast where they're going to go to the the other ships when they left all of those other ships behind. Yeah. That that could you know be that could be evidence. Even if they were encoded, even if they were encoded, six had full access of the defense mainframes. They should have all the decryption codes they could ever possibly need. I I, I think he's listening in. Okay. All right. Um, Leoban ends up being incredibly strong. Yeah. He breaks the, uh, the chains that he's held in. Um, Tosses that table aside like it's made of paper. And it just just goes to show that he is the one who's really allowing the control yes, to happen. Yes, he's in here. he's in control here. He really is, um, which is something they just I don't feel like they really seem to have learned any lesson from. I, I just it seems like if that happens, then a red flag should go <laughs> up at some point. Okay, uh, let's see here. Spread out the fl- oh. They decide to spread out the fleet, so in case there is a bomb on board, 
that it's not going to have you know a catastrophic yeah. effect upon all of the other ships, which is you know tactically sane in my mind. I think they got the line backwards. Oh yeah, Adama says, spread out the spread out the fleet. No ship less than five hundred kilometers from any other ship. I think they meant no ship. Or no, he sa- he says no ship more than five hundred kilometers from any other ship. I think it should have been no ship less than five hundred kilometers from any other ship. You're talking about more spread out, not less spread out. The way they said it in the episode was exactly backwards from the way I think it should have been said. All right, well, uh, we'll, we'll let you get onto the uh, writing staff and uh, correct that for any upcoming Battlestar Galactica. They can recut episodes. that line. Um. Okay. So this this is the point at which they start, you know. Dunkingly open into mm-hmm. this to uh, you know as again a form of of more torture that isn't going to work. Um, Boomer is tested and it turns out she the test shows that she is a Cylon, which is evidence that the detector works. Works, yeah. They now have a Cylon detector, or. It could be a false positive. A false positive. It's In just a non-working device. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, it, by dumb luck, the one person he has tested turns out to actually be a Cylon, and no matter whom he would have tested, <laughs> they would have always ended up being a Cylon. But nonetheless, we'll just assume Cylon detector working. We have one of the fun things that comes out of this episode. There's two in my mind: a comment that Leoben makes to um, Starbuck. And okay. a comment that he makes to President Roslin right before he's, you know, sucked out. And he says to Starbuck that she will find Cobol, which will le- lead them to Earth. Okay. And then the other fun one is Adama is a Cylon. <laughs> Interesting. I, you know, I totally wrote that off. I was like, there's no way President Roslin falls for that. I don't think he gets into her head at all. He doesn't have the chance to, really. Yeah. Because I mean, she sees she, it coming a mile away. Yeah. She is, um, you know, she's seeing these things happen. I don't think she believes him when he says it right then to her. But after he gets sucked out in almost the exact manner in which it happens in her dream, yeah. Yeah. I think that's going to play with her hmm. a little bit. Interesting. I don't know that it really ever manifests into anything, but I think that that's going to play in her mind a little bit. Hmm. I, you know, I what I haven't decided for myself yet is what President Rosalind thinks about these dreams and their correlation to the real life. Does she think she's prophetic? Does she chalk it all up to the Kamala plant? What do you think? I, I don't know what she thinks. What I think is that it's the Kamala plant. And it actually is some kind of oracular beneficent. That that it's something that gives humans access to within you know, within the episode, this isn't something I actually believe in, but we're talking about within this science fiction universe here. Gives humans access to this shared spiritual pool of experience. Ooh, I like that. That allows us to see, you know, maybe into the future and into the past and into the side universes and the alternate ways things could have gone and things like that. I like that. That sounds really cool. So she orders him out the airlock. He goes out, you know, gets sucked away just like her dream. You know what is disturbing is I thought 
You know what would have been an even worse thing to do? Is chain him in. And then open the airlock. So the chains keep him in there, but then everything is just sucked away, and he's just left left to gasp for air in plain sight of everyone watching him. Would have been really disturbing for the rest of the people to watch that man slowly gasp for air and then die. But still... Maybe you could open and close the airlock a couple How times. disturbing am I that that's what I managed to come up with? Nice. See, I guess it's true that you and I really could come up with yeah. much worse ways of torturing people. Um, so anyway, I, as I mentioned before, Starbuck goes back and she prays to her gods. The actual physical idols that she has wrapped up and kept secret a little bit within her uh, her locker. And I think it's more safe than secret. I don't know. The way she looks around... Uh, she just she seems, looks around because she, she doesn't want anyone to see her praying for a Cylon. Uh, it could go both ways. Okay. I, I, I think she's... The, the persona of Starbuck is, I'm tough. I can do everything mm, on okay. my own. I don't yeah. need anybody else. And so to, to then start praying to, show to that a God openly could in her mind be seen that way. Okay. Whether it is or not, I don't know, but okay. that's just how I like to see the, the character. Uh, my last question. Is torture moral? No. It's not. And I, I think you and I would hands down say that's wrong to do it to another human being. But in this case, they're not actually doing it to a human being. They're doing it to a Cylon. And if we believe what the Cylon says, which is, you know what, I'm just going to get downloaded into another body, so even if you do kill me, does it take away the morality of that of the torture to the point where it's like, you know what, I'm just, I'm beating a chair. A chair is no more, you know, a, a real human. Okay. So I'm going to respond to your question. Oh, thank you. In what's probably <laughs> going to become... Infamous statement number one <laughs> for all of Trek West Five history. Oh boy, this is going to be interesting. Are we about to lose listeners right now? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, they'll probably all be so entertained by this that we'll get more. <laughs> we'll just pick up the wrong kind of listeners that we don't really want. <laughs> um, I'm going to say. That the Cylons have souls, and that they are a creation, of albeit God? indirectly, of God. Mm, okay. And that, therefore, it is immoral what she's doing to him. Nice. Even though they get resurrected through this mechanical process. And they're not, you know, quote-unquote, born, right. you know, the natural way. Um I just the the way I'm viewing the this series at this point right now is that the Cylons. It, here's here's why here's where I'm coming from. If the Cylons, if none of this is true, if none of what the Cylons are asserting is true, then they aren't interesting villains. They're not interesting characters. They're just. They're just toasters. They're just robots. 
they're much more interesting, and the story becomes much more interesting. Yeah, but their software is so unique. If there's a kernel of truth to it, that there is some divine hand at work in all of this. So that's that's one of the things you're going to believe from Leoben then. Well, it's something I believed long before the character of Leoben was introduced. Okay. It was something I believed from back when Six was first talking about her faith in a single god in the in the miniseries. Um, like I like I say, because it makes the story for me more compelling. If the if there okay. is yeah, I, I some can truth I to can that. totally believe that. Uh, by the way, I'll I'll just go ahead and tell you there is some truth. And some lies to what Leoben <laughs> is saying in this episode. Gee, thanks. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just won't want you to think that you know it's all total lies. But you know, there there definitely is some some truth that is revealed and some lies. And so it's just. Well, I don't buy that Adama's a Cylon for a second. Really, <laughs> really, and I I don't think you're referring to the. Apparently, factual information about Starbucks' own past that we get through the mouth of Leoben. What uh, when he talks about her relationship with her mother and how how that damaged her as a person? Oh, okay. How it's tainted every relationship she's ever had and things like that. Um, that's not what you're talking about, right? Because that would I appear just, to be factual, remember. or I, Starbuck would have responded. I to watched it. this episode earlier in the week. I okay. haven't. It's not fresh in my memory. That's all I'm saying. And I didn't take any notes about it. I see. That's what I'm saying. So I, I got to imagine you're saying that Starbuck actually finds cool. Well, that's one of the things. One of the things that's either true or false. Yes. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You're welcome. <laughs> um, uh, you have more. To, yes, to I have comments. two. I have two other things here. Okay. Uh, the first one is. What is the most basic article of faith? Leoben asserts that it is to believe or to know that this is not all we are, that there is more to us than this, that there's a soul that goes on beyond this life. You're you're comfortable with that as Uh, as the most basic? It sounds pretty good. I I can't think of one off the top of my head that's better than that. And it's certainly not really anti to my personal religious beliefs. Okay. So, yeah, I'm comfortable with that. Okay. If you have another one, I'm certainly willing um, to listen to it and potentially believe that in a hope <laughs> of making you my spiritual leader. <laughs> what a terrible situation that would put us both in. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, we could introduce crystals. <laughs> I know how much you enjoy crystals. I, I did give it some thought, and I came I came down with you know what? Even if this is all I am, as long as this is not all everything is, as long as there's a a bigger plan, there's more going on than what there appears to be on the surface. I don't necessarily have to be part of that more than, you know, if, if I if I live a good life here, I, I raise my children right, I love my wife, I do a great podcast every now and then, if that's all that... I ever am, I, I think I'm okay with that on some level, as long as I know that it all adds up to something more than the sum of its hmm. parts. Interesting. And You're then the be uh, so surprised once you die. <laughs> there, there, there's actually uh, just one comment I wanted to make is is the holy open thing of I am God, uh, and and how he kind of 
you know, he's like, I'm not like the God standing here right now, but I am a piece of God and we're all a piece of God kind of thing. Reminded me very much of uh, Valentine Michael Smith in Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land. Uh, the thou art God kind of concept. Very interesting. I like that they tied that in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing is, uh, is, as he's talking about Kara's past and her history with her mother. Again, I, I mentioned this earlier, but there's this recurrent theme of the relationship between parents and children and how that can sometimes be dysfunctional and the, the side effects of that kind of dysfunction. You know, in, in my own life, I can, I can point directly to certain mistakes that I've made and say, I can't blame it on my relationship with my father. But I can say, yeah, I was goaded into doing things that were not in my own personal makeup because I was responding to things that came out of that dysfunction between he and I. Mm-hmm. And it cost me opportunities and it co- it's caused some pain and some frustration and, and heartbreak. So, in my so life. you're not saying, oh, it's all his fault. I mean, you're certainly accepting responsibility Absolutely. for your part in all of that. But still to, to say that it's you know just because you can't say it's you know it's not all my fault it's also you know he's not guilt free either no. in, in that particular thing and, and i'm also saying that i'm not blameless you know i i'm sure there is another side to that i'm sure that there are things that i've done coming back from him that have hurt him that right. dysfunction goes both ways it's not unidirectional you're right you're right and and it's it's just very interesting watching this play out in this science fiction series and it's it's why i'm i you know i, I finally kind of keyed into okay why did i not like the mini series at all and why am i enjoying the series and I, I think it's because it took me until the regular series to get oh there's there's more story going on here than just uh humanity is dying there there's Wow. <laughs> Jeez Louise. <laughs> there's there's a deeper story being told here, and that's what makes good science fiction. Uh, I just don't see how you don't get that from the miniseries. I, I, I'm fully willing to accept that it's a lack in myself that causes it. <laughs> I'm just saying, from the miniseries, I just get blah. Just, there's no hope. There's nothing good. This story is not going to be entertaining. It is going to be the most depressing slog of five years you will ever experience. <laughs> Granted, it's not a happy, a happy, which you is know, fine. set of years. I, I, I don't expect necessarily Granted. cheerfulness. Granted. But to say, while it's a, while it's an emotional struggle, that there's a broader story we're telling. I didn't get that out of the miniseries for some reason. I'm getting that. I'm I'm seeing it in the series and I'm picking up going, oh hey, there's this this recurrent theme of of parent and child. There's this there's this theme of, oh, which boomer should we be cheering for? Or should we be cheering for any of them? Or should we really be hating the Cylons? Are are the Cylons maybe do they have some valid points? Does their plan for humanity actually result in a good thing? We don't know. We don't, at least I don't yet. I'm saying I, I see all of that now as a result of sticking with the series. The miniseries, I didn't even pick up the hints. It was just kind of there on the page. 
Okay. Anything else? Nope. Okay. Let's jump over to listener M who says, flesh and bone. Wouldn't you want to have several people working on a Cylon detector? So that if one person is working on the working for the Cylons, the rest of the team would also understand the work and be able to check up with the traitor? Oh well, still a great story. But they could all be Cylons. They could. <laughs> Statistically, it seems unlikely. Um, Cylon number two apparently has more faith than most of the crew. Anyhow, I look is that forward... Open? I think it is. Okay. Um, anyhow, I look forward to hearing what you all thought about these episodes later, listener M. Uh, Mark, thanks for your email. Okay, uh, moving on to my friend John Madsen. He says, probably not a good idea to initiate uh, the Cylon test when it's just you and the Cylon in the room. <laughs> well, in head six. <laughs> <laughs> That's just common sense, really. Commander Adama says something about Leoban that I find sort of weird. He says he's dealt with that model before and is concerned about Leoban's ability for manipulation. He went out of his way to not personify Leoban, but he made a couple of big assumptions. One, that all Cylons look like Leoban are equally skilled. And two, that Cylons that look different also have different and varied personalities. I also think that Leoban's enthusiasm for meeting Starbuck is interesting. How did he know she existed? Why would he be excited to see her? How is he able to prophesy concerning her? Of course, maybe he was kidding about his pleasure in meeting her, and he was just buying more time. Maybe he didn't speak a shred of truth. If so, I'm not sure how I'm not sure I know an adequate reason for all the things he said. Okay, John, thanks very much for your email. All right, uh, Brainy Smurf. He says, "I wonder why Billy the Cylon didn't try to help Leoban more. Maybe they are not friends. Maybe Billy the Cylon orchestrated this whole thing because he wanted Leoban dead and he knew that Rosalind totally loves to airlock Cylons. (laughs) As we will come to see, it's practically her favorite pastime. (laughs) That and tripping out on Kamala. Well, I usually hate torture episodes, and Starbuck episodes are not that fun either. We will just note that although Starbuck and Leoban are the two most annoying characters on the show, they do have some kind of connection. And Rosalind is going to airlock you, sucka. Oh, and despite all his rage, Hilo is still just a rat in a cage. <laughs> Always good to quote uh, that particular line. Sci-Fi 6, TV 5. Um, Joey's final thought. Okay. Number one. Explain how things will develop between Gaius and Gaeta. Um, I think it's going to become... <laughs> what a ridiculous answer. <laughs> I'm assuming he wanted me to read that at the end. But, uh, you, you thought it was better to interject it at the beginning? Yeah, why not? I haven't interrupted you for a while, really. <laughs> um, I, I think it's going to become... Do they become oh, lovers? No, no, I'm not going to go there. But I was going to go like a big brother, little brother kind of relationship. And yeah. maybe even to the point where... I just I feel like at some point, maybe even very soon... 
Gaius is going to be challenging President Roslin for control of humanity, for the direction of humanity. And I think Geta becomes his number one. Mm. Okay. Number two. We see Gaius and Head Six in a different setting sometimes. What's up with that? And can all Cylons project their consciousness into other surrounding, into, I'm assuming, other people surrounding them like Head Six does? Do you think it's just Head Six who has that ability? To do what again? Project themselves into... Other people? Mm -hmm. I don't think she has that ability. So you don't... Okay, so then the answer to the question is you don't think that Cylons, other Cylons have that ability to project no, themselves. I don't. Okay. So it's just something special between Six and Gaius. I don't think it's even necessarily Six that he's seeing. So a projection that the Cylons are putting into his head. A projection that the Cylons are putting through the chip, and no matter who's using the broadcaster, it looks like Six. Okay, okay. Um. So the first question: We see Gaius and Head Six in different settings sometimes. What's up with that? It's Gaius's insanity. Okay, it, it's him coming unscrewed. Okay, interesting. Number three: What's going to go down with Rosalind and Gaius? Uh, I, he's going to challenge her for presidency. Okay. Number four. I, the question for me is not if, it's whether he actually waits until her term is over or if he tries to act before then. Okay. Okay. Number four. Who's going to betray who and how? The old man, Roslyn, Lee, Starbuck, Saul, and or Billy the Cylon. Okay. So he's just listing out. Yeah, a, a, give, a, give me a, the a, list again. Yeah. Uh, so the old man, Adama, mm -hmm. Roslyn, Lee, Starbuck, Saul, Billy the Cylon. Okay, Billy the Cylon's going to betray uh, Rosalind at her moment of worst vulnerability to Gaius in her, his challenge of her control of humanity. Ooh, okay. And that's going to be how Gaius takes control because the Cylons clearly are invested in Gaius being in, in charge. Okay. Um, Saul... Trying to remember if he's on my Cylon list this week or not. <laughs> if Saul is a Cylon, he will betray the old man at the worst possible time. I'm not sure exactly how, but somehow it will turn out to be this just huge dramatic okay. betrayal. Um, maybe he will declare the commander unfit for duty at a time when the Cylons are bearing down upon them or something like that. Okay. Um, who am I missing? Starbuck? Uh, yeah, Billy? so, so uh, Starbuck, Lee, Rosalind, and the old man. Okay, so I got the old man and Rosalind in there. They're going to be betrayed. They're not going to do any betraying. Okay. Um, you think they're too good to... No, I just... Out of the situations that I had available as I tried to arrange them in my mind, I don't see them betraying any of those people in well, a meaningful I, I, way. Okay, okay. Um, And I... I'm going to go ahead and open this up, though it's not expressly stated. I'm not saying it, and I don't think uh, Brainy is saying, between these different people, oh, are I they going to betray each other? That's how I was Who's going to betray who and how? And then he just gives a list of people. Okay. 
All right. I so I, I'm going to open it up to that. Okay. Maybe he didn't intend that, but I think it's more interesting if we include like the entire cast of the fleet okay. out there. Um, all right. So Adama, Commander Adama, is going to betray... Oh, so you think he does betray someone? Well, if we're opening it up to not just those those characters right there, I assume at some point he's going to betray someone. Okay. No, no, that's um, fine. That's fine. And I'm going to say that he has to betray Lee at okay. some point be, because that would be the most interesting story. Um, but I'm not sure how. I don't. I don't have any insight. He doesn't betray the fleet by announcing he's a Cylon. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, President Rosalind betrays all of humanity by failing to defeat Gaius in the power struggle. Okay. Uh, so Lee and Starbuck are the ones we have left here. Starbuck is going to betray... Wow, you are dark. You were automatically just assuming all of these people are going uh, to yeah. betray someone instead of assuming <laughs> they will be betrayed. No, I, I I think they're all going to have some level of betrayal here. <laughs> okay, but no, it's it, fun. I like it, that. Here, I like that. Here, here's the interesting. You're thing. You're just a dark person, just like <laughs> Ron Moore is. Starbuck is going to betray the Cylons. The Cylons, if if the parts that I chose to take and and leave from Leoben turn out to be true, the Cylons see Starbuck as a critical figure in their plan. Okay. That's just, I mean, as I watched the episodes, the parts of that, I personally decided I was going to So they're planning in. to use her somehow. They're planning to use her. Okay. She is going to refuse to be used in that way. She's going to somehow betray that plan. Okay. Not Lee, in the traditional way that I would have seen betrayal, but you're perfectly reasonable. Lee? Come on, he's a good guy. Yeah, he is a good guy. <laughs> but again, so is Adama, and that you were willing to say he's going to betray Lee. Trying to think of who it's going to be. Tyrell? Callie. Lee and Callie are going to get together. They're going to start hooking up. And he's going to do some less than desirable male behavior that's going to lead her to feel betrayed. There okay. There's my response. Those are good ones. <laughs> don't, don't hold me to any of that. <laughs> Number five. Joey, you have established that the Cylons obviously are not completely eradicating the humans for some reason. But as far as whomever the Cylon builder is concerned... Why are the skin jobs not constructed in a more superior design than the frail, finite limitations of the soft pink humanoid form? So he's basically saying, okay, you know, mm -hmm. why why didn't they make the Cylons superior, more superior, yeah. in more overt ways? <laughs> so. I, I've made it clear that I think that there is a creator at work here, that there is right. that yep. God is you at work here. That? They are created in God's image, just like we are. And okay. that's why. So you actually think that there is a creator who made the fleshy Cylons? I think that his, his hand was there. He helped the, guide 
Yes. Maybe even regular humans or the actual toasters who became self-aware themselves? Yeah, either either one. I don't, okay. I don't know which one it was. Okay. But somewhere between the two, I don't know if it was maybe some, like, branch of humanity who the Cylons, like, they... They were mad, and so they went and joined the Cylons or something. I don't know. It could that also would be have been. Fun. It could also have just been evolutionary AI of the Cylons becoming smart enough. But either That's way, right. it happened for the Terminator series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So either one of those, I, I haven't come down at all on on how did the fleshy Cylons come to be, but it was through, at least indirectly, the guidance of a personal god. And he had them created in his own image Mm. the same way we are created in his own image. Later, dudes and listeners and Druplets, Ambassador Brainy Smurf. Uh, Brainy, thanks very much. Always, always good to to hear your emails. I like how you take all of that with a straight face. You give me absolutely no clue. I should get an Academy Award. (laughs) You really should for doing nothing (laughs) (laughs) under great duress. (laughs) Mm, Mmm. Pain and suffering from Joey Nourish Me. You know, there was actually, there's a line, I think it was in the previous episode. Oh, there's something we totally skipped over that I want to talk about. Okay, um, I'm not Boomer. sure why you're blaming we here. Boomer, when she goes back to see the Cylon Raider in this episode. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah that's right, because she does come by a second time. She starts humming this song. I think I've heard that song somewhere before. Do we, do we know what that song is? You know, I didn't even think okay. to listen to it. I, eh, she does hum a song, but I don't. Were there words to it, or was it just, she, she uh, just, just like hums. a tune, like a melody? She just hums, kind of thing? and I thought, boy, that, that sounds awfully familiar. Where have I heard that before? But again, I'll, I'll listen to it after okay. we get done recording, and just to let you know, or not let you know. <laughs> um, there was a line in the previous episode that I'm, I was surprised you didn't point out. Because it so epitomizes our relationship, Pete. Lee tells Starbuck, your pain is my entertainment. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think he only says that because Doc Cottle looked at him. <laughs> yeah. He was like, was like idiot, knock it off. Like, come on, help me out here. Uh, science fiction rating, Joey. Uh, I give it an eight. There's a lot of discussion about metaphysical concepts here. Whether Leoben actually believes any of them or not, I found it very, very entertaining on a science fiction aspect. To it, It's the kind of thing science fiction allows us to do in kind of a low-pressure environment. We take something that's so dear to us, religion, and so hard to have reasonable, rational discussion about. Yes. Put it in a science fiction atmosphere and it becomes okay to talk about it and dissect it a little bit and yeah. analyze it. Yeah, the delivery bit. device that is science fiction does allow for that. M- much it easier than just, you know, quote unquote rational dialogue. Yeah. Agreed. Um I want to give this a nine. I'm only gonna give it an eight, and it's because I don't like Starbuck. <laughs> because they put Starbuck in there as the the person who's gonna be the torturer. You know what? That you can use a throwaway, just like you did with that, you know, that one um, interrogator that went throughout the fleet. Uh, yeah, you, you can just create a character that goes away, you know, or I, use somebody else. Why does it have to be Starbuck? I, I totally would agree with you, with one exception here. They 
whether rightly or wrongly, they tried to do double duty with this episode in not only having her do the interrogation, but having him do some background exposition of Starbucks character. Yeah. Yes. uh, Yeah. I'll I'll just drop it, but I I enjoy it. I think you're absolutely right on the whole metaphysical stuff. It's fun to watch this episode happen from a science fiction standpoint, and I think for the most part they did a really, really good job of it. Television, Joey. Uh, I gave it a six. There's too much of the too mediocre, in my opinion, torture. And then it, it it's pretty talky for an episode. I think a lot of people will be turned off by that. I gave it a seven. I was in, you know, I enjoyed it for the most part in, in you know, what, uh, what Leoben was doing. He was able to overcome some of the Starbucks stuff for me. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And we thank you for listening. So good to see you again. Good morning.